we start today's episode, just to let you know, you can now nominate for the 2025 Northern Power Women Awards. To be in with a chance of celebrating with changemakers, trailblazers and advocates on the 6th of March 2025. Nominate now at wearepower.net. Women podcast for your career and your life, no matter what business you're in. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Northern Power Women podcast. I am Sam Walker, currently sitting in a motorhome somewhere in California. It sounds glamorous, but I'm next to a roadside. Uh, right now, Simone, so don't get too excited by that. Simone Roche, of course, our queen of Albert Dock, our great leader in that there, Liverpool. And I know we always talk about the weather because we're so British, but you've had a nice few days. Well, do you know what? I'd say we haven't. We haven't, you know, sort of a bit of a mix, but it's absolutely glorious. So definitely paddleboard wedding. Wed- wedding? Ooh, better tell Rob that. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Um, so yeah, no, definitely fell off the paddleboard for the first time last weekend as well. Ouch. First thing I did was look around to see who saw me. <laughs> it was my own fault. It was my own fault. I actually was paddling in an area that was roped off because there was a sunken um, wreck there. And I went for a nosy and clearly bumped in some metal. Down, gone, in. Anyway. <laughs> humiliation. Right, well, that wonderful mental image we now all have of you taking a nosedive into the Albert Dock. (laughs) It's been another big week for Northern Power Women. Now, look, last time we spoke, you were getting ready for the Be Heard event with the wonderful Marnie Millard, queen of non-executive director positions. I learned so much when I interviewed her for season one of the Northern Power Women podcast. But what? how how did that go down? Oh, it was brilliant. We were over at UA92, which is the University Academy set up by the class of 92, Gary Neville at Al. And we involved the students. So the students, uh, we had one of the students as floor manager, one of the students um, mixing, um, mixing the um, mixy stuff. <laughs> she says non-technical. Sound mixing. Thank you. Say. Thank yeah. you. Mixing the sound things. Anyway. And then we had a journalism student as well. So it was, that was really brilliant to be able to give back and to interview at the same time. So yeah, brilliant. Uh, 30 minute lunchtime session all about, you know, building that confidence, stepping out your comfort zone. And it's always great, isn't it? You love that vulnerability of real role models sharing the scary stuff as well. That, you know, that they feel fear as well. You know, we talked about you, Prep for your 45 minute session, you know, in, in, a, oh, in, a, few, about that. <laughs> in a few months, but there's something, you know, great when someone else, like, it's okay. It's okay to feel like that, that bit of fear, but you gotta do it anyway. So yeah, it was a great session. It was what was really interesting. It was a 30 minute lunchtime session, but myself, uh, Northern Powerman and, uh, Argina, uh, were out all day. So it's weird, isn't it? That it's the first kind of event that we've done out and about. Um, and it was very exciting to see lots of people and engage with the students and the fantastic staff over there so a 
big, massive thank you to the UA92 massive over there for making us feel so welcome. But it was, it's amazing how long it takes because you allow yourself that bit more because you get to get over the M62 and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's amazing that that 30 minute session that you do from your desk, it would took a whole day. So it is, it's, and I think that's why, you know, we talked about styles of working. That's why we need the blended workforce. But yeah, it was a fantastic day. Please catch up on our YouTube channel. Uh, you'll be able to watch it back if you weren't able to join us on the day. You talk so much about role models, don't we, here at Northern Power Women. And I remember meeting Marnie for the first time. Gosh, it must have been four years ago. I might even say five. My little brain is is trying to work it out. But I remember going to her home in Greater Manchester and the most beautiful house and talking about her life and her career and what a non-executive director is. Because I was like, what even is that really? There's a while ago. I was trying to, and she, she was laughing, saying that her children used to say that to her. I was like, what do you actually do, mum? You know, what, what's your job? job because a lot of other people might say oh my dad's a teacher or my mum's an accountant and just say what what is it you do so we're talking through that a lot and and, and how kind of switched in and, and plugged in you need to be to different organizations when you're sitting at board level and um and I was saying, how how do you do it? You've got this beautiful home. You've got two children. You've got a job that takes you up and down the country into various different organizations. And she said, because it's a village, it's not just me. And she was the first person who really made me not feel guilty about asking for help because she said, you cannot do it all. Don't even attempt to do it all. Don't pretend you do it all. You can't do it all. So really, you need to get help. And that is how you achieve what you need to achieve and not to feel guilt about it. And I always, always remember sitting there and talking with her about that. And I also remember her asking me about my my children and how old they were. And I think at the time, my eldest was about 10. And she said to me, oh, you realise you've got less time left with her than you've had with her before she leaves and goes off to university and never comes back. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And I went, I went, I'd never even thought about it like that. And she went, yeah. And I hate to say it, but she's going to hate you for most of those years as well. Cause she's going to be a teenager. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, but I mean, it was lovely. There was real, you know, it was real talk. I loved that. And I really, really appreciated her being so honest. So I do think about that quite often. And I go, I've only got a couple of years left and she'll be gone. She can't wait to leave though. The eldest, the, the youngest will never go. She's not allowed to, but no, brilliant stuff. So YouTube channel, just search for Northern Power Women. Indeed, absolutely. On YouTube. Yeah, on the Northern Power Women channel, uh, you'll be able to catch up with the Bee Herd and the previous one we did a, a few weeks ago with Michelle Jones and Ganan Adamu. So please do, and please sign up. You know, this podcast is brought to you by bee-herd.io. It's all about leveling up the media and events industry. We've got a couple of hundred people on there. We've got people who are professionals, students, media all looking for people to have your voice heard. Perfect stuff. Now, we were having a bit of a discussion before we started recording this podcast about a really, really interesting article that you'd seen around those big city salaries and bonuses. And we all know, don't we? We all hear about people in in London and in the city, you know, kind of historically men, but more women now these days. And these huge bonuses that a lot of people, especially in financial institutions, can have towards the end of the year. And the very big salaries that they can attract as well. And they've generally been linked to the 
performance of the company, haven't they? Performance when it comes to profit, profit of the company. And that's how bonuses and salaries have been constructed. But you said there's a change afoot. Yeah, I love this. This is an article the Bank of England and the Financial Conduct Authority have said they want to speed up the progress, like you say, in making the City of London more diverse. And in a step, they say they say could help to boost the safety and soundness of UK banks and investment firms. So what they're looking to do, they're setting out a package of reforms, but what they're trying to do is make their senior leaders directly accountable for diversity and inclusion in their firms and linking this progress to their pay. How amazing is that? That is really, really interesting. And I hate to sound a bit cynical, but you kind of think if that's going to give people a kick, if you're, if you're going to go, actually, this is going to affect what you're taking home because it is that important. Because I think it's been very easy for people to brush it to one side and say, well, it's not our fault that not enough, you know, black and minority ethnic or LGBTQ plus people applied for the job. We put the ad out there. We say we're equal opportunity. If people don't apply, then what can we do when we know, don't we, from lots of discussions we've had on this podcast, it's not enough to just put the ads out in the traditional media and in those traditional recruitment arenas and say, oh, well, if people don't come back. And we talked about this, didn't we, about this amazing African-American police officer I heard here talking in the United States who said all these uh, police forces around the States who are complaining, oh, look, we haven't got enough African-American officers. Well, where are you recruiting? Are you recruiting in typically white places? And I remember this officer saying, oh, you're going to the hair salons. You're going to the nail salons. You're going to the barbershop. You're going to the places where traditionally African-American people congregate and actually recruiting there because you need to go to where the people you want to reach are, wherever that may be. And I thought that was such an interesting conversation to have. It was. This is great. I know. And when I saw it posted, I just put on it, this is practical and positive. It's not something, you know, the, you know, finance has been sort of very proactive in the diversity space and the Women in Finance Charter, which was in 2021, the the review, I think it came out a couple of years ago, our, our very own Emily Cox. MBE drove a lot of that for Jane Angadia. Um, so there's already work done, but I, I kind of was, I was buoyed by the fact that actually they've not just relied on, oh, we're just going to keep pointing back to that. We're going on to a new reform now. So you know what? Let's watch this space because that is easily adoptable, isn't it? That is easily transferable over into other sectors. So other sectors, have a look, see what you think. 100%. I love that. It's very interesting. I mean, talking about recruitment in more general terms, I know there's, there are big issues now around a a huge dearth in staff who are available. I mean, demand for staff as as lockdown, I suppose, starts to ease in the UK means that now people are saying, well, okay, a lot of people I furloughed, a lot of people I had to let go. I now need to start to try and build up my business again. But actually... Uh, there aren't anyone, there isn't anyone around. I mean, we've found out, haven't we, this week that growth in just those temporary positions is its strongest for 23 years. But of the 400 recruitment firms that are out there operating in the UK today, most of them have said, we don't have enough people to fill the positions. I read this one really interesting article where a man who runs um, a B&B in York was recruiting for staff as he was opening his doors again. And even though he posted on seven different recruitment websites, he didn't get a single application. And before the pandemic, he was getting 50 applications for every single job that he posted. Now, we could talk, couldn't we, for ages about why that might be. But 
there is a major problem here. And I see it here in the United States, Simone. If you drive past Burger Kings now or Taco Bells or any of the fast food places and other restaurants as well, there are huge banners outside saying $1,000 signing bonus. And what they're doing is they're actually paying these huge bonuses to try and get people. And and I think they're staggered. So you get $100 a month for the first 10 months. So people obviously don't sign up and leave. But this is the, and, and these are minimum wage jobs that are going like $12 an hour jobs. And they're paying a $1,000 signing bonus because they simply cannot get the staff. Yeah. And I spoke to a senior executive only this morning up in Cumbria, up in Bowness, the beautiful Bowness up there in the Lake District, really struggling. Some of these hospitality outlets are only able to open at certain days or times of the day because they cannot get the workforce. And I think you've seen with furlough, you've seen a lot of um, individuals migrating from the hugely traumatized hospitality industry into supermarkets where there's always going to be work. There's always going to be hours. Amazon drivers or other drivers are available. You know, those drivers, the shifts are there for fun, aren't they? So, you know, and people are maybe think, oh, well, actually, I don't want to work the late time hours anymore. I'm going to stay here instead. So I think there's a there's a real, we've just again, just real worry about that. Hospitality is a sector that I've spent a lot of time in and, and visitor economy. And I think there needs to be a, almost a, is that, is that, there's a whole marketing campaign and a rebrand about it is, you know, you work in, in the States, in Canada, in Australia, in Spain, it seemed to be an industry of choice, an industry of where you want to work. But for some reason, it doesn't distill here as much. And I think there is something about that pride to put on that, that uniform wherever you're working and and being that customer you can make someone's day literally have a nice day oh my gosh we 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 went for a meal when we were out in our little motorhome at the moment trolling around and um we went for a meal in a place called Oceanside in California and the young woman who served us literally transformed our evening we were a bit cold we'd been walking with two children and two dogs for 25 minutes or about a mile we couldn't find anywhere to eat we were a bit we were a bit in that place you know the space where you're a bit like i just want something to eat now and and she completely you know even the 8 year old the 10 year old turned around and went She's brilliant, isn't she? She's so nice. And Lila said, oh, I wonder if we go back to England, are we going to notice a difference of how people serve us in shops and restaurants? And it is, you're right, there is a pride here to doing a great job. And do you know what? For me, that was instilled in me when I was a kid. If you get, I mean, I know there's the old adage, isn't there? If a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. But my mum used to say to me, a dollar's a dollar's a dollar. You earn, however you earn that money, you earn it with pride and you work your hardest. And and, uh, you know, I know we've always both lived by that rule, but it's it's interesting. There is a big issue here. And I know there was a um, KPMG were commenting on this and saying that, you know, the government need to step in now and get some, whether they get some apprenticeship schemes in there or what they need to do is we need to have a very big skills drive because there are young people who want work, but don't have the appropriate training. And there are people who are furloughed. For example, the airline industry, even you can't just put a pilot back in the, the controls of a plane after a year and a half and go, there you go. There needs to be upskilling and, and retraining across the board. So there's a, there's a road ahead, isn't there, Simone, essentially, there for is, all of this? There is. And there's a whole return to work. You think of when you come back after illness or caring responsibility or maternity, paternity, there's that whole return to work approach. And I think there's a there's a massive, massive confidence gap out there at the moment in, in certain individuals and certain sectors and certain people who've been furloughed. And I think there's a there's a need to, to you know, we don't want people sort of stagnating here because they're not confident to come out. So I think there is a, there's a piece about that. And we can all pay a part in that. That's why that's why 
why we love our mentoring, isn't it? That's why we love our kind of support networks, etc. You need the power of that network. You need the power of the community for sure. Definitely. Right. Let's get some life lessons going on on this podcast, shall we? Who are we hearing from this week? We've got Amina Ahmed this week and she is a, she's a serial chief exec. She's worked across three sectors, profit, public and not for profit. And she has a passion about creating environments that enable people to develop their greatest potential. It's totally up our street, isn't it? Here's Amina. What's the one thing that everyone should put on their CV but often miss off? I think it's something you're passionate about in your personal life because that tells a person a lot about you. I'm a practicing Buddhist, which means that I have a strong faith and I chant morning and evening. And that involves self-discipline to sit down morning and evening to actually chant. And I've been doing that for about 25 years. And for most of that time, I've chanted for over an hour a day and a lot more in some of those years. So that's a significant amount of time of sitting practice and self-discipline. And people often say to me, well, how can you chant for so long? I can't find the time. But actually, ironically, it strangely, it creates time. So time's just a construct, really. And we've all experienced it either going extremely slowly or extremely quickly. And uh, so by dedicating the time, it creates time for me to have an alignment of flow or a mindfulness or an aligned fullness. And I love that expression because it's about experiencing the present moment with a centred self, alive, aware and value driven. How did I as a working parent cope with the guilt factor? I think because I was a single parent for most of my working life, guilt wasn't an option because I had to go out to work. And I was also really of a generation as a working mother to be to have the thought that, well, you can have it all. So I was relatively young when I had my child, just 22. Um, and he's now in his 30s, so I'm an empty nester now. But for most of my working life, I was juggling like many uh, working mums. And uh, it's not all bad because research shows that working women um, clearly are wealthiest, which can lead to more independence. And that's certainly something that um, I've got experience of and also more positive well-being, uh, so less depression when women go out, go out to work. And um, I was really fortunate in that I had great childcare where my son got a lot of social and educational input where he was. And when we had our time together, it was quality time. And also the structure of the day was when he was at school, I was at work. So the impact of being a working mother wasn't as drastic, although there's always the juggling when there was like occasionally sickness or, or things that needed to be um, juggled around. Have I ever changed careers? Yes, I have. Um, and I've worked across three different sectors. So the private, the public and the not-for-profit sector. And um, I think what has helped me is that I've always remembered I'm not starting from scratch. I can take previous skills with me. So that's how I've really done it. Um, and uh, one of the most important things for me is how I integrate my values at work. So whichever career I'm in, uh, working in has been really, that's been the starting point of, you know, does this feel like the right fit for me? 
Um, and so making a difference, being creative, using my emotional intelligence in whatever situation I'm in is really important. And when I set up my own consulting practice, Direct Path, I did that at the age of 50. And um, I remember when I was leaving the public sector at that time, uh, people said, well, you're brave setting it up uh, at 50, going it alone. But I didn't actually see it like that. I saw it as um, being driven to seek something more. And I think that's the thing about changing careers. It's always about learning and expansion, which really fits in with my key theme, which is never stop growing. Have I found, ever found an ally in an unusual place? I think in work situations, I find many allies. Um, I've built many really good friendships, collaborations, collegial relationships. And so I've been very fortunate about this. And I think that's about building trust and being yourself. Whenever I felt the fear and done it anyway, I think all of us have deep-rooted fears in our lives going back to childhood, and I'm no exception. So mine was really about making myself visible. Um, and so although I've achieved a lot in my life, I have struggled with that underlying feeling of uh, fear. However, I've taken practical steps to overcome it, and I can genuinely say I've stepped into the unknown. Thank you so much to Amina Ahmed for your life lessons this week. We have just one life lessons to go. We will tell you why in just a moment's time. But I loved, do you know what I loved about Amina's life lessons, Simone, is when she just, that line, which I think always triggers me, never stop growing. I mean, she started her consulting business when she was 50, Direct Path. And I think quite often as women, we, we kind of worry as as the years tick on and think, oh my gosh, am I still relevant? And it's, I think it's definitely a feeling that women have more than men about relevance as we get older. But again, I read an article a couple of weeks ago about women in their 50s now being being at the absolute top of their game in ways that we always thought perhaps you peak in your late 30s, early 40s. That's not the case. So I took some inspiration from Amina there. Yeah, because she's talked about, you know, that whole, oh, you're doing this at 50. That's ridiculous, you know. So mm. and I think that's what she talks about when she felt the fear and done it, you know, did it anyway. You know, she says she's no exception. It's all about being visible. You know, she's achieved a lot in her life, but she struggled with feeling, you know, that feeling of fear. So it's about taking those practical steps and going, I genuinely can say I've taken the steps into the unknown so fantastic fantastic life lessons as ever and brilliant ones this week from Amina thank you so much so just as a little teaser because we'll go into it more next week why is this the penultimate life lesson, Simone Roche? Uh, because we are bringing to you a power-up season, a series of seven episodes where we're going to give you bite-size, whether it's your, you're doing the, the school run, uh, whether you're, you know, sort of loading the washing, making the tea, you know, having some downtime, whatever it is. Uh, we want to create sort of these practical sessions. You talked earlier about Marnie and the non-exec director. Um, you know, we've got sessions about what is, what is a non-exec? What is a trustee and how do we do it? How do I build my profile? How do we be an ally? So we wanted to create these really practical, you know, we've always talked about, you know, this, whether you remember or not, Miss Samantha, it's our fourth year anniversary of the Northern Power Women podcast. Four oh years this month is, oh when, is when we came live. You know, we were early adopters of this, weren't we? You know, of having these conversations and we always talked about it was for your career, your life. So we wanted to take, you know, sort of this, we know we've been your companions on the last 18 months 
balance across the pandemic and we want to bring back and sort of focus on on sort of the careers in your life. So we want some practical stuff. So we'll be talking to some of our, you know, real life role models out there who've been it, seen it, got the T-shirt. Tune them for the power up season coming soon. Fabulous. More next week on that. More of what you can look forward to. Before we head off into the sunset, Simone, what are our shout outs this week? Oh, we've got Amy Lou, um, Amy Lou Sykes. Uh, she's had a weekend in Cornwall um, uh, to celebrate her husband's 10 year anniversary. Congratulations, Mr. Mr. Amy. And Katie J. Twist just got a final uni results and has a graduation ceremony in under two weeks. Congrats. Our own Lucy, who was our intern from LJMU, got a first. So congratulations to her. And Jeanette JJ. L, uh, who runs a stress clinic in Manchester. She's just been appointed to do some consultancy for the FA Sports. So congratulations all round. They're all good ones, aren't they, this week? Fantastic. Keep them coming. We've got one more round of shout outs to come here on the Northern Power Women podcast. So please do make sure you tune in. We can't wait to give you more details about our Power Up season next week. Thank you so, so much for listening. Uh, as ever, we love to hear from you. Do come and connect with us. You can find us on LinkedIn. Just search for Northern Power Women at North Power Women on Twitter and search for Northern Power Women on that there Instagram and Facebook as well. The next episode is coming your way on July the 19th. Until then, this is the Northern Power Women podcast. She's Simone Roche MBE. I'm Sam Walker and the Northern Power Women podcast is a What Goes On Media production. Ooh.